Hello and welcome back to Leaning Around Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Hunt, and joining me this week, like every week, is Dave Harris. Hello. And a smiling Mikey Breslin. Hello. Now, why is Mikey smiling, everyone? Well, at the weekend, after 27 games without a goal, the Brazilian sensation, the new Firmino, <laughs> got a goal. Mike, talk us through your emotions. Well, it was a cracker, really, wasn't it? Just well-deserved. Well-deserved. <laughs> 31 games of toil he's put in and he finally scores at St James's. It was a nice finish as well, I might add. Um, you could certainly add that because he won't be adding to his tally this season. <laughs> um, no, as I was just uh, listening to the United game on TalkSport and the commentator said, uh, well, Newcastle have certainly livened up since Joe Linton went off and they look much more like they're going to score a goal now. Andy Carroll. And they did score. Andy Carroll and Dwight, because I watched that game, Andy Carroll and Dwight Gale came on and were instantly better. But um, that's, that's enough for that. We'll come back to Joel Linton maybe later on in the podcast. Who knows? Um, Dave, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Will. Uh, cracking weather today in the last few days. So, you know, pretty good mood really all around. And that's enough for that. What are we talking <laughs> We've got the day for God, I can't wait, can I? If I said it was pouring with rain and I'm upset, Will, it'd be the same reaction from you, wouldn't it, really? Yeah, shush after the compelling content, Dave. Um, (laughs) Anyway, speaking of compelling content, what a segue that is. On this week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about perhaps one of the most compelling teams in the league. We're going to be talking about Arsenal, the Arsenal, as Sol Campbell famously called them. Um, We're going to discuss their absolutely ludicrously bad start to um, the restarted Premier League season. We'll probably then, after a big discussion about them, we'll also talk about some other teams that have started badly. We're going to talk about the absolute dross at the bottom of the table, which includes West Ham. Unfortunately, um, it doesn't include Tottenham. Um, and then we will get to talking about how we think the restart has hurt Chris Wilder, Sheffield United. The manager of the year, Chris Wilder. Is he going to keep that title much longer? But, lads, I told you it was Klopp. Oh, get out. Get out. We voted already. Um, let's talk about it. Let's move, without further ado, let's move straight on to possibly the worst team in London. Um, Arsenal, the Arsenal, uh, started off their season losing 3-0 to Man City. A whole raft of injuries. Uh, just possibly one of the worst centre-half performances I've seen. And or actually, is it in the top five David Luiz ones? I don't know. Um, and then they compounded the misery by losing 2-1 to Brighton on the South Close. Lots to unpack here, lads. But I guess the first thing to ask is, have you been surprised by this? No, <laughs> absolutely not, to be honest. If I think it's, it's pretty much more of the same of what they've been doing all season. <laughs> Mike? I, I'd like to express at least a little bit of surprise. I actually thought they were going to turn a bit of a corner to be honest. Um, it looked like just before the lockdown, as we said a couple of weeks ago, I think they're actually starting to look a bit better. And then uh, they've just come out with this dross. Like you, Mike, I um, I thought they turned a corner under Arteta. I didn't realise they were turning the corner while going 80 miles an hour and they were turning it into a wall. But here we go. Um, so what happened? So... Let's sort of just recap the first game. Um, away to Man City. Um, Mari, who's never had an injury in his life, got hit by the Arsenal curse and he went down. Grant Jacker went down. Brought on David Luiz. A couple of mistakes. Gave away the goal. 
gave away a goal and then got himself sent off, compounded the misery. Um, Dave, David Lewis' performance, what do you think? Well, it was... I don't think I can say anything positive about it really well. Maybe the only positive is he didn't get injured, I guess. Um, um, I don't know. I feel sorry for him in a way. I don't know. Like, the way Man City have played even since coming back and the way Man City play in general, they're pretty hard to defend against anyway. And it's been apparently clear, I think, all season that David Luiz used to be a fairly fast centre-back, you know, when he was a bit younger. He's... He seems to have lost that. So, you know, you bring him on a essentially a veteran defender at this point against a very fast attack. He's always had questionable decision making. So, I, I don't, I don't know what Arsenal defender could have come on and done. They probably wouldn't have done that bad. But I don't think Arsenal have any defenders capable of stopping a Man City attack. So, yeah. there's an interesting point to be had there against that when he came on, he. Um... He was up against a team that was had Aguero, David Silva, De Bruyne, Mares, and um, Raheem Sterling playing. Not the easiest group to mark, yeah. are they? Well, well, they were just starting to get going as well. Yeah. Just as he came on, they were starting to get into their rhythm. And once they do that, I mean, they, they just hit Burnley for five a couple of nights ago, as we record. Um, yeah, it's obviously a tough spot to come on, but you'd think, given his experience in the Premier League at Chelsea and then at Arsenal as well. He maybe could have just, I don't know why I'm using this word, but calmed himself down a bit, but he, he just isn't, seems unable to do that ever. And the thing that annoyed me most about this, the red card for the penalty, mm-hmm. is that he's done exactly the same thing already this season against Chelsea, I think it was. We yeah. discussed it, didn't we? But exactly the same thing. And he's just, at least if you're going to do it once, just don't do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's it's an interesting one with David Luiz because he's... You're right, Dave, he has lost a lot of mobility and you can actually pinpoint the loss of the mobility back to a City-Chelsea game in the Conte title-winning season when Aguero um, at, just did an assassination attempt on his... Um, on his uh, leg and then he spent the whole of the rest of the season with his leg strapped up and he's never been the same player since um before we go any further what do you mike you're a former central defender dave yeah. you've put, you've seen a football um <laughs> mike what what do, you, what do you think about david Luiz as a defender just not just this season just do you like him or are, are you of the Gary Neville school of thought about David Luiz where you think he's a bloody PlayStation black character? Well, what I would say is that I do actually like watching him because obviously you never know what's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. as, a, as a centre-back though, the, really you want to be, the main things you want to be are words like dependable, consistent, basically just solid at the back. And the... I don't think you could use any of those words to describe David Luiz at, at any point in his career, not just at Arsenal. Maybe for a, a year or two at Chelsea. It is interesting you say that because um, I actually think David Luiz played well last year, um, but that's probably because Chelsea had a ton of the ball and Chelsea had a really good defence last year with Kepa in goal. So I don't know what Sarri was doing. He was probably sprinkling magic and sacrificing voodoo dolls. Um, however... 
I think there's an interesting point to be made about whether or not David Luiz is the right fit for Arsenal, certainly. Um, yeah, I, th- I do think that's a decent shout. Um, I think he did have a good year, but it's just putting performance after performance together, maybe seven, eight out of ten every week, like yeah. a, like a Johnny Evans. We love Johnny Evans. We do love yeah. Johnny Evans. For think, exactly that reason, that you know exactly what he's going to be like. But it's about cracking the what David Luiz is good at, and what David Luiz is good at is defending a defending a limited amount of space. That's why he was so successful when he played in the middle of the three, because he had Cahill one side, he had Aspilicueta who would go out and defend in the wider areas, and that's what you that's what you saw. Like think of that. I think David Luiz's greatest performance is in Munich for Chelsea. I think it's the best best I've ever seen him play. And he sat on the edge of the penalty box and he defended that little bit and he was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. What they're asking him to do at Arsenal is they're asking him to, because the fullbacks are bombing on, they're asking him to go out wide a lot more. And he was never good at that when he was quick. And now he's lost that yard of pace. It's causing him a world of trouble. And I think no, that, that is actually a really good point. It's a reason. And I think it's underlined and I, I, saw, I saw a stat, which is true. It's a bit of a joke, the jokey way they said it, but it is true. So David Luiz has a red card every 160 games for with Chelsea. He gets one every 13 with Arsenal, and he gives a penalty away every 53 games for Chelsea, and one every six and a half games for Arsenal. I mean, yeah, that is well, yeah, that pretty much backs up exactly what you were just saying. I think yeah. I, th- I do think I would say if you play to his strengths, he can be a pretty useful asset mm. coming out from the back because. I, th- I think his coaches and everyone was he was meant to be a central midfielder. Yeah. And you can certainly see that obviously in the way he plays. And if he did the foul that he made against City, um if he'd have done that in the centre of the park, no one would have said anything, he probably wouldn't even have got booked for it. No. Dave? But he, obviously he's doing that in the penalty box, sorry. So he, he gets sent off for it and no. gives away a penalty. I think, I think one thing with David Lewis as well at Arsenal, he's not really ever had anyone solid to play next to like when he's coming into the the team I know obviously this time he came off the bench he's usually playing with like a rotated centre-back like it's not one person he's playing with every time and also it's not it's not like Arsenal have any you know it's not like Chelsea where he's playing next to people like Terry and Cahill and dependable centre-backs Arsenal don't have any dependable centre-backs so Louise might come into games thinking he can play how he wants, but for example, Socrates, he's had some absolute shockers. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna have any confidence in trying to play how you thought you envisaged playing if you're having to run across and mop up your, your centre back partner's mistakes for most of the game. No, it is a it is a really interesting point about Arsenal and in particular in their centre backs, because you look at them you look at David Luiz, yes, he had his problems with Chelsea, but he was obviously a much better player than he, he is. He's much better than he's showing for Arsenal. And it's a bit the same with Mustafi. Say what you want about Mustafi, but he was decent at Valencia, won a World Cup. He's not. He's obviously wasn't a bad player. Take Socrates too, good at Dortmund. Not the top, top calibre of centre-half, but not as bad as they've looked since they've got to Arsenal. And there's a thing, there's a thing that's got to be said there. I think a lot of times you watch Arsenal and their centre-backs are always isolated against wide men. They're always isolated against strikers and they're just out of position, out wide. And they got lucky for so many years because 
say what you want about Laurent Koscielny, what he was absolutely brilliant at was defending out wide 1v1 against people. And mm-hmm. since they lost him, since they lost that, like, they, they look even worse, quite frankly. I was going so, to say as well, I think part of this also, not not to bash the whole of the Arsenal team, but the, the um, centre midfield has also been a bit of a problem, particularly now Ramsey's gone. Mm-hmm. They're not getting, the yeah. centre-backs are not getting the shielding necessarily that they should be getting. No. Which, which again, goes back to leaving them more isolated than they should be. If you think about what, uh, Louise would have had in front of him at Chelsea. Even it might not have been a stellar Chelsea team, but he still had Kante, Kovacic, Jorginho, mm. at least probably one, if not two of those, sat in front of him. Whereas now he's got well, Xhaka got injured in the City game. Yeah. So that I mean that's a, a say what you like about what he did to the fans, but that is a big loss for Arsenal. Huge. Guendouzi, I think he's going to be a good player, but I think we're going to get onto him as well. Mm. But um. I don't think he's quite there yet. No. Particularly, particularly when you throw him in against City, he just got totally destroyed as well. It's quite interesting with Gwen Doozy. I mean, is an assist, it's sort of like, I know we're going to talk about perhaps his antics and his mentality in a bit, but in terms, when they went to Brighton, um, Arteta obviously had the decision where he's like, well, you know what, we're moving away from the 4-2-3-1, which we've been using. We're going to go to a 4-3-3. Gwen Doozy's going to be the guy sitting in the role that you'd assume would be for Xhaka. And yeah. I think that's probably the system that's going to work for Arsenal, particularly when you consider that Arteta seems to have just given up on the fact that Mesut Ozil is not the player he was. We need to be a wash of him. Um, I think that's probably going to be the system. But again, it raises all these worries about protecting the centre-backs. Yeah, I, I don't know whether... I mean, obviously... Taking United, because I watched a fair bit of them, you've got today Matic was sat there. Mm. He obviously can screen a defence, well, very, very well. For years he's been able to do that, even though he's lost a bit of his legs. He's still one of the best probably in the league at that. Yeah. Fernandinho at City, when he is allowed to play in midfield. Yeah. Fabinho at Liverpool does exactly Fabinho the same job. Is brilliant yeah. at it. Um, Jorginho, to his credit, does it at Chelsea. I mean, he has to be covered by having Kante next to him, but he does do that role. It's, so it's quite a common thing, and I'm, but I am worried about it for Arsenal because I'm not sure they have the personnel to pull it off. Yeah, I think Guendouzi could be that player, but I don't know if he is yet. No. Um, just before... Before we move on to talking, I think I think Arsenal's problems were more laid bare by losing to an a, a very average Brighton team rather than losing to Man City, who looked frighteningly good. So before we move across, there's someone, Dave. Man City look the best team of the restart, don't they? Yeah, for for sure, I'd say. Um, they just look so sharp. They they don't really look like they've ever been away. Is what I felt. Even. I mean, I fought that against Arsenal, but obviously, as we discussed, there was issues with Arsenal's performance. But against Burnley, they really turned it on and, yeah, basically just looked like they haven't been away. The the players all looked very, very fit, all sharp. Um, yeah, they've impressed me the most, for sure, out of the restart. Pep was never going to let them... Uh... Come no, it can be terrible. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's what, that's one thing we knew for sure, and they don't even have anything really to play for in the league. No, no. Apart so, from, City sorry, apart from um, stopping Liverpool winning it as soon as possible, basically that's all. 
say what you want, actually. You, you talk about not having anything to play for. I'm get, I get the sense there's a bit more of a rivalry building between those two camps than there has been with City and some of the other clubs. For I get the sense that coming close a few times has started a bit of a, a sour taste and they don't want to let them have it super early. Um, but City, do remember you have nothing to play for. So you, on Thursday when you play the Chelsea, <laughs> send out the kids, quite frankly. <laughs> just any, anyone you want to put out there, just like the reserves maybe. You remember that time you played this in the FA Cup? Beat your five one. You played the little kids. Let's do that again, man. That would be good fun, you know. <laughs> bit of oh, charity no, no. work. Bit of charity work. There probably um, will be some pep rotation though. He, he always does it. Can we have some Chelsea rotation in that we uh, get an entirely new left back corp, please? <laughs> <laughs> God. Maybe maybe by the time the transfer windows ended. Oh, watching win. watching Marcus Alonso try and run up and down uh, and deal with um, who was it? Was it El Ghazi? I was like. I was like, you, you just a fraud, son. Anyway. If you can't deal with El Ghazi, that's, I mean, that's yeah. a concern. Can't deal with El Ghazi. You couldn't handle David Harris on a Thursday night. <laughs> um, anyway, let's get away from Chelsea and back to the Arsenal. Um, so, lads, talking about, oh, actually, quickly. Sorry, this is another tangent. Mike, David Silva leaves at the end of the season. So, an extension to go through. How good is David Silva still? He's he's probably still top ten in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe he's he's moving. Yeah. I'm actually I'm actually pretty gutted to be honest. I'm obviously being a United fan, but I like watching good football. City play really good football, and at at the heart of that is David Silva all the time. Mm. He's got such an eye for a pass. Still, he can still he's still mobile enough. I think. Um. He's pure silk. Yeah. That's what he's he is. He's class, isn't he? Yeah, he's really good. And to this, he, what, when did he join City? What was it, like 2011? Um, 2010? So it's almost a decade and no one has figured out how to mark him. No one has figured it out. That little move he has where he goes alongside the centre-half, in between the centre-half and the, the, the right-back, it's lethal. No one can mark it. No one can mark it. It's unbelievable. He's such a talented player. Yeah, still a top player. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Get away from my tangents. Uh, back so, to Brighton. Back to <laughs> Brighton and Arsenal. God. Now, if you were going to distill the quintessential Arsenal performance, I think, of the last five years, Brighton was it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I could have summed that up much better myself. <laughs> Do you want to talk? Do you want someone want to take me through the game? Things you noticed, things you're worried about. Well, I just found it weird. You'd expect them to. You'd expect Arsenal to sort of make, you know, chance after chance against a team like Brighton. Brighton haven't been playing particularly well. You'd really expect it to be almost like an Arsenal performance of old, where this is one of the teams they're still able to do it, where they just get on the ball, control the play. Chance after chance, like Arsenal football that we know, which, as you said, before the sort of stop to the season, looked like they were maybe going back that way. I was thinking, to be honest, maybe that Man City game was a blip and we were going to see them come out and play as Arsenal. They, they just didn't really get going. Um, yeah, in midfield, they were just... Gwendouzi had too much on his plate. Sabalos didn't look particularly good either. 
Um, yeah, Davy Proper and Aaron Moy, to be honest, totally, totally bossed them, those two in midfield, I felt, really. Mike, how much of this is to, to do with Arteta? Because he went away to Brighton, who we know their home form is better than their away form. I'm not saying they're particularly a Titanic team. I'm just referencing uh, that great <laughs> yeah, stat from last week. I knew that. <laughs> um, but he went away to Brighton and he played a midfield three of Saka, Ceballos and Gwendouzi as the sitter. That, to me, feels risky. And I... Th- I never felt like Arsenal were on top in this game. Yeah, I think risky is a is a fair assessment of that midfield three. I don't I don't know what I mean. There's not much steel in there. Which one thing when you know you're going to Brighton, they're going to put some set pieces in. They're going to put the ball up and about. Um, they're going to be they're going to at least be after obviously Gross, proper Basuma and Moy. There's some decent legs in there. Basuma mm. um, excellent. Yeah. Basuma had a good game. Moy, as usual, pretty decent. Davy um, Proper's pretty good in that midfield, to be honest. Proper player. Yeah, he's a good player, actually. I, I, I like watched that the Leicester game yesterday, and he was decent when he came on. <laughs> um, I'm just going to go past what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the Brighton players went past Gwendouzi. Yes. Yeah, not, not his uh, best game. By the sounds of it, he was giving out some some verbals for most of the game yeah Um, I think it's probably worthy at this point to talk about the Mopai incident because um, Bernd Leno was probably Arsenal's man of the match in the first game back against City and he's actually turned himself into still got a few mistakes in him with his feet but he's turned himself into quite a good keeper this year Um, Mopai it's a difficult one to explain because if you haven't seen the incident go and watch it because I don't quite know how to describe it, but so I the ball, know that the ball drops between Mopai and Leno, sort of on the edge of the the Arsenal box. It's still in yeah. the box, so Leno jumps up to catch it, which he does, um, and Mopai jumps into him. I guess. Yeah, he doesn't seemingly even... a little. Well, a little. I think it's might a bit be malicious, a, to be honest. It's quite late. I don't mm-hmm. think he's ever getting there. No. The ball's basically in Leno's hands before he even gets off the ground. I'd, he, I, I don't know him more, but I'd like to think that it's he's just mistimed the jump. But it, yeah, a few incidents when he was at Brentford, to be honest, with just stupid things, and he just, it almost like he just thought he was gonna leave one in him, leave one in on him. The way yeah, he Mark, didn't even Mark bother to move that. until, till Leno was had the ball in the air and then he decided to go for it. I think usually you have a pretty good idea of whether you can get there or not. Yeah. He was not playing anywhere I don't want to say there. he definitely went for him, but usually, particularly footballers at this level, know whether they can get there or whether they're just going to leave one in on him. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to accuse anyone of being a dirty player other than human son. <laughs> but a lot of Mopé's actions in this game made me think that he does play with an edge. And yeah, and I don't mind that, usually. No. But, but it, I think that was... I think, yeah, that, I think that was pretty naughty, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't like it at all. No. Have either of you seen his post-match interview? Yes. 
Uh, I've heard some quotes. I haven't actually watched it. What do you think, Dave? You see, this is the thing, Will. I probably know more about Morpai than, I guess, Premier League fans because he's done similar things at Brentford. Like, they used to be, basically briefly without putting this on a tangent there was a window of Harry Redknapp where we signed a lot of Brentford players and out of nowhere there was like this Brentford Birmingham rivalry and it was a bit of a thing between the players and Morpai every time he played would always mix it up um to the point where he actually got one of our players sent off and you know pretended to be elbowed he also put up a picture once with like some stud marks on his back saying he'd been assaulted by blues and stuff he just sort of mixes it I think that's sort of his mentality he's one of those players that gives a bit and not just in terms of football I imagine he's just very fiery sort of player um and his interview having known this about Morpai already really didn't shock me because just in general with with Brentford I think with interviews he doesn't really take them too seriously um, and I think he's a pretty emotional guy, so he's still carrying whatever emotions that are on the pitch by the time he's usually even still at an interview. So there's no real filter from him, whereas you see some players very much almost like stage marshaled into what they should be saying. He just says whatever he thinks, and obviously he was wound up that Arsenal players have been saying stuff to him, mm-hmm. and he's yeah. like, yeah, great, I've scored a late winner over them done one over on them all these players that were giving me it they've lost you know yeah he probably found it quite funny to be honest for clarity what he said was some of their players players need to learn what is humility especially one of them they've been taught they've been talking um and they got what they deserved is what the gist of what he said um so it's sort of come out in the aftermath of what who it was who was doing the talking, and no surprise yeah. that in the Arsenal team it's Matteo Guendouzi. Like it or not, he that is he is the shit house. Um, and one of the things he said was, um, uh, "I'm 21 and I make more than you." <laughs> quick, Which is quick thing on this. More pie apparently gets more money than him a week. But it is it it does <laughs> despite being quite a funny thing, quite a a funny thing to say. I think it says two things here. One is that Gwen Doozy's got a bit of an arrogance and an attitude that you typically like in players, provided mm-hmm. they can back it up. Um, yeah. Also, there's perhaps an interesting question about, and I know we've been talking about it, Mark, about Arsenal's mentalities, about how they're willing to fight at certain times and not at others. Yeah, they, uh, well, obviously they gave it a bit after the, the whistle. Gwendouzi grabbed Mopai around the uh, mm, throat, right. mm. which, quick side note, I don't know how he didn't get banned for that, but... Yeah, neither. Um, but he's avoided punishment. But they, why aren't you doing things... I'm not necessarily grabbing him by the throat, but why aren't you scrapping in the game? After he's injured Leno, I'd have gone through him, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've got to show it on the pitch. It's too late after the final whistle's gone. I do Quick side note on that. Yeah, I get your point about maybe wanting to go through more, but but you'd think that would... I definitely would have. Even if that's not how they channel it, surely that fires them up to play for the... I hate hate this phrase because it's always used by annoying teams, but play play for for the the badge. Play for the badge. Just, (laughs) Just 
your mates got injured. Go out there and make sure you win this game so that it's remembered for you winning the game and not for his injury or whatever happens. And everyone's gonna re- everyone's gonna remember it as a game where Leno got injured, Morpai scored a late winner, and totally shit housed them in the interviews. Yeah, but even if they'd won, it's it's kind of like the Chelsea Reading thing where Czech got his injured. Well, yeah, but game where Czech got injured rather than the game where John Terry went in goal and we won one 0 Yeah, but what I'm saying is it's not like Arsenal players can go oh crap our keeper's injured but we played well and it fired us up to a win they've they've come away their keeper's injured and they were like yeah we didn't play well again and we only showed some sort of passion and any sort of desire after the final whistle and it wasn't even in footballing terms they showed passions it was one in a scrap well can i just read you the team and you can tell me who you think would be firing them up then go on these Bellerin, Mustafi, Holding, Kalasinac, Saka, Gwendouzi, Sabayos, Pepe, Lacazette, Aubameyang. Kalasinac, mate. Kalasinac took on not... Well, I think it's Aubameyang, is it? It's Aubameyang. This is is one of the problems with Arsenal, is that, and it has been for years, and say what you you like, they have a soft centre, and and teams know that. Was it Phil Neville who said that when they were just... When they were playing, when United were going to play, and they'd be like, "Well, all right, then we'll just kick him off the park because he won't be able to handle it." Yeah, pretty much. And off the bench, obviously Leno went off, so they got a new keeper, Willock, Nelson, and Ketia Tierney. There's no leaders coming off the bench either. Yeah, Dave. Interesting what you say about Arsenal. Um, I mean, I don't the really Arsenal. want to bring up the topic of it, really. But since Ramsey got injured against Stoke, obviously, I'm not saying that that was something good or whatever. It was a horror injury. But even for however many seasons Stoke were in the Prem afterwards, possibly five or six, every time Arsenal played Stoke, whether there was like no real players who had even been around at that time, they always looked scared. A, a horrible Stoke team could pretty much always know they were going to come to Arsenal and get something. Or at least give them a game. Because I don't know what it is. It's just like there's no sort of mentality of we're going to be this not even a fiery team just a team that's together there's just no togetherness in the teams it feels there's a there's a thing in there's a tendency um particularly as we move towards a more like stats-based understanding of football there's a tendency to actually overlook the almost like the intangibles um in the terms of the idea of that for certain players passion for the corpse is everything you there is there's been countless trophies that have been won based so by inferior teams based solely on the fact that they were willing to fight and die for every little piece of Wigan of FA grass. Cup comes Wigan, to mind on that one Wigan you take a look at um even Europe. Blues in the Carlin Cup to Blues be fair in the Carlin we, Cup we Terry would have died to keep Vidic would have died to keep a yeah. shot out yeah. A perfect example, perhaps, is, and we're going to bring it up because it's a fantastic thing, um, Chelsea's run to Munich was all about willpower. They were better than none of those teams other than Benfica that they played. Absolutely zero of them. And the fact of the matter is, at Arsenal, they have a severe lack of leadership. They don't even have like vocal qualities, and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about um, a Roy Keane who sits in the middle of field midfield and destroys people. I'm talking about people like, for example, Jorginho at Chelsea again, constantly being vocal, constantly being saying this, 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 this. You go here, you go here, right? Coming next to me, we're not conceding. That kind of thing, and they just don't have that at Arsenal. 
And the fact that their captain's a guy who's almost out of contract in the summer and looks like he's making eyes at every other big team is not is not a good thing for the club. The thing that's I find quite frustrating. I'm not even an Arsenal fan, but people, including us, not necessarily on the podcast, but we've been saying this for years. Mm. I mean, years. People have felt there's been a mindset problem, a problem in the Arsenal defence, and yet. Here we are still citing the same issues maybe five years on from when they yeah. started, probably. Maybe longer. Yeah, well, it's so we We've been talking about this since oh, 2010 with Wenger. However, even, even before that almost, they just don't have it. They just don't have that that level of steel. You, like, what was it? Um, Was it Sooness who said, he was saying about a team once, um, if, if the Arsenal lads... Uh, if the Arsenal lads one of the, wanted to take out your daughter, you'd be totally fine with it and they'd have you back by 10. <laughs> uh, whereas he said about one of the other teams that uh, the guy, one of the teams that was going for it, oh, they, you, they'd turn up with her and you'd be worried, for example, or something <laughs> like that. Nasty group of guys. And th- there is a streak of nastiness that, and a competitive edge that you need to have to be successful in a league as physical as the Premier League. Um, I, I, now, I, I think they've misrecruited for a while. That, and that brings us perfectly onto our next point. Great segue, yeah. Breslin. Thanks. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at before, is that they just, for years, we've seen the same problems, and for years, they've never fixed it for some reason. So, they have tried to address it, haven't they, though? When you think about, they have brought in some big characters over the years. In They brought in they brought in Petr Cech, big leader, yeah. Petr Cech. Yeah. Um, uh, they brought in... Uh, Oh, God, I've forgotten his name. David Luiz. Bloody David Luiz, who you would say. Yeah, yeah. Luiz is an example, yeah. He's a big character. He's not necessarily a leader, as we saw in the 7-1 demolition, Um, but he is a character. But all these characters have sort of never lived up to what we thought they could be. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure why that is. I don't know if there's something wrong with a lot of the players in the dressing room or... I don't know, really. Because especially with Czech around, if you bring in someone, an outfield player, to help um, marshal the younger players through, that could have worked quite well. I don't know what's, I don't exactly know what's going wrong there. It's got to be something fundamentally in the coaches. Um, Just make one thing that I think is maybe even Arsenal players, even as far down as like academy level. Maybe the coaches just don't bollock them. Maybe they always have this like constructive criticism, which is fine, but sometimes footballers need to be told that they've they've had a shit day at the office. I can't imagine Wenger towards the end of his time, Unai Emery or Arteta, if they are really that bad, I cannot imagine them ever doing like a Ferguson hairdryer. I just can't see it for the life of me. I can't see any players in these dressing rooms turning around and fucking having a go at a, a teammate. I just can't see it from anybody. I I don't know what it is. There's just no fire in these players' bellies, and it's been apparent for years. There's just no... Even Hector Bellerin at this point, I have nothing against him as a player, but he's Great been there bloke. for years. Great bloke. Yeah. He's been, yeah, he is. He's been there for years. You'd think that, you know, he'd be... I mean, Jack Wilshire, I'd say, is the last Arsenal player I saw play with proper passion. 
he cared to play for the team. Hector Bellerin's been there for years, for his entire career, and you, nothing shows that. But I, I, so many other players of uh, the teams, like look at Mark Noble at West Ham. Uh, he bloody die in that shirt. I don't want. I don't want to say that it's a lack of passion from people like Hector Bellerin. What I want to, what I think is more accurate, is that they're just not as a team, as a collective, they're not equipped for when the going gets tough. I imagine that, that Hector Bellerin, when it, when it's all going wrong, is sitting there thinking, God, I wish it... He's probably as distraught as many of the Arsenal fans. However, I just think he looks around and he's got people like Aubameyang and Lacazette who haven't been there that long and don't get it. And it's a very important point. Your recruitment is finding players of the right character. Yeah, that's, gonna... what I, that's what I think they've, they've been getting wrong. Recruiting characters... You can get a, a perfectly amazing player like Aubameyang, but if he's not the right character, then... Well, you've seen at United, again, with Pogba, but he brings others with him into like a somewhere that you don't want to be down a path you don't want him to go mm. down. Lingard mm. being the example, I would say, at United. Lingard was never a good player. Dave! Yeah, I was just going to add, um, adding to my point of Bellerin, at the end of the day, Arsenal recruit so many players that it's not like there's a core of players that have been there for years and years. So, you know, it'd be pretty hard to, if there is no one in that dressing room, for someone like Bellerin to actually do that. Um, because a lot of these players could have only just arrived at the club and I, I can't imagine it being part of Arsenal's philosophy where they aren't super welcoming, to be honest. It's just yeah. what they seem like as a club. Well, we've just shat on Arsenal for 40 minutes. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, not 40 minutes. Um, so let's sort, of, let's sort of try and think of um, next steps. Because today they've announced a new one-year contract for David Luiz. They've announced that they're... Um, they've announced that they've extended Danny Savalas' loan contract. They've announced a new contract for... Um, apparently they're going to give Cedric a three- to four-year contract, which sounds like really? a lot to me. Um, yeah. I, I was, I did see a lot of rumours from various Twitter accounts, shout out to Carefree Youth, that I actually trust and usually get these things spot on, that someone like William is going to sign for Arsenal and that David Luiz's agent and William's agent is the same guy and he's been talking about getting him a contract at Arsenal. So that's the kind of recruitment you're looking at in the future. Um, I like Arteta. But with that recruitment, with getting a character with William who can be difficult into the dressing room, I'm not seeing an easy fix, Mike. Mike's not seeing yeah, it, but... and his heads are in his hands. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I can't believe that. Three to four years for Cedric. Yeah, that's yeah. what I read. I saw the same. I mean, Louise was the headline, obviously, because he got another year, but fucking hell. Three to four years for a guy that didn't make it at Southampton. For a guy who didn't um, hasn't played for Arsenal. Yeah, he hasn't even played. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, let me to... let me read the actual details. How here, are you supposed okay. to turn a corner when this is what we're doing? I know. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they also signed they Pablo Marie, Marie, by the way. They? they did yeah. extend Mary. Yeah, but he's on a long-term deal too. He's got an actual Why? contract. Why did they extend Sabaros? 
Because just to the end, no, only till the end of the restart. Oh, that's, right. that's a numbers thing. The Sabayas one you can't really argue with. And to some extent, you can't really argue with the David Luiz one either because Arsenal don't have the money to go out and buy two centre another centre-half in the summer. So it's probably well, just no, got, to keep one on the year. They've got Saliba coming back in from France, which might help a little bit. But he's yep. young, so you can't expect too much from him. So having some experience around is a good thing. It's going to be... Yeah, by the looks of the way Arsenal have handled the whole lockdown thing, they don't have much money at all to spend. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But I don't understand why we're giving Cedric a three to four year deal and maybe signing William. Mm. Why don't they well, just sign Pedro as well? Well, uh, well, steady on. <laughs> steady on there. Pedro's not going there. He's going to Roma. Yeah. But anyway, oh, that wouldn't be a surprise. Anyway, William isn't confirmed, and William and Pedro have agreed to play to Chelsea at the end of the season. Which great servants for the club. If you do yeah, go to Arsenal, you do go to Arsenal though. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking, William. Love you really. Uh, the, the really interesting thing is when we play Arsenal and William's in their team taking a corner. It'll be the first time one of his corners has ever found a Chelsea man. <laughs> 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 anyway, that's enough on Arsenal. I think uh, I think if you if you're an Arsenal fan and you're still listening to the podcast, um, commiserations. Uh, <laughs> what are you still doing? What here? are you doing? I mean, you've probably heard all this before. Um, but let's talk about another, God negative podcast this week. Let's talk about another under four week team quickly because Sheffield United have come back from the restart. Um, three games, three losses, lost three Not nil three to losses. Man United. Not three losses. They drew with Villa. Drew with oh, Villa. it's because it felt like a loss. Yeah, uh, yeah I, lost, I agree. I lost my time and mental health when I was watching that game. Good Lord, it was boring. I've yes. now watched them three times. Agreed, same, Mike. I'm human, <laughs> to be honest. They've been awful on all three occasions. Yeah, but Joel Linton scored, Mike. That should be the highlight. We've come on to Newcastle and the new Firmino. Um, interestingly enough, the most common text from Mike Breton has been over the past week have Sheffield always been this bad to watch yeah. <laughs> I, I literally feel like I've texted that every day for the last three days um, Mike Sheffield you, what, you've just watched them play Man United what's going on they were horrible um, quick side note what, one of our loyal listeners Mr Yates uh, sent us a question asking who'd come out of this the best the lockdown the best which I, I think we answered in City and who's yeah. come out of it the worst you're about to get the answer for that it's uh, Chris Wilder's men also Declan Rice because I saw I saw him running around with long hair and he was sort of waving around he looked like a an Irish version of Prince Charming from Shrek it's good luck Declan <laughs> keep it up he's actually English is, is um, he? yeah uh, I think I've seen some tweets that suggest otherwise <laughs> um, I mean they could barely get out of their own half against United, which, particularly earlier in the season, would be a, a significant worry. Um, Man U were pretty good this evening. They're looking decent with Pogba and Fernandez, um, Rashford, Martial linking up well as well. But I just I don't think this break has done anything at all good for Sheffield United. One of their back five is out injured. I think I can't remember which one. Egan suspended also now. Egan suspended too. Um, they, to be honest, they all look knackered. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. they look dead on their feet. 
It's because they have no squad rotation. Yeah. Um, also, interestingly for Sheffield United, they're still in the FA Cup. Yeah. This isn't even the only games they have to worry about. They just... they. It's weird. The way I oh, see yeah. it is this... Well, this they've is... got Arsenal in the next round, so they should get through that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, going to be a horrible affair. Sheffield United... Oh, are playing how I imagine Sheffield United would play in the Premier League. Yeah, I uh, thought that... they would get nowhere. Obviously, huge credit to Chris Wilder, as we've discussed previously of quite a few times. But this time, I don't know what it is. Like, were they not keeping that fit? Were they not training as hard as everyone else? But one thing that I've really thought um, could be the issue is that when they were playing every week, they didn't have time to stop and think. We're doing like what you know, they're overachieving. Whatever happens this season, frankly, even staying up is overachieving, to be honest. Um, I think maybe the players have had drilled into them. Whatever happens here, guys, you've done well, or alternatively, they've had too long to think about it and they're worried about the prospects of Europe. And that's playing on their minds. Whereas if they just played the games, they wouldn't have had time to, to think about it. I think maybe they're just... I don't know. I find it strange that they could be so dead on their feet already, to be yeah. honest. Um, just quickly on Sheffield United playing like Sheffield United should play. Um, one of my favourite text exchanges of the um, the Project Restart was Mike saying, are Sheffield always this bad? They just seem to be lumping it long. And Dave saying, Dave replying back very quickly, you don't play tick attacker with John Lundstrom. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoyed that very much. Um, the thing is with Sheffield, the first, um, the 3 0 loss against Newcastle on paper is a very worrying loss. Yeah. Because that's a team that you should not be losing 3 0, albeit you have the 10 men. Um, but a lot of it's been individual mistakes from what I watched. Um, I wasn't really concerned yes. until I watched the highlights of the Man United game because the hallmarks of Sheffield United play is that they're solid at the back. Yeah. And they and Martial and Rashford in particular caught them napping numerous times. If Rashford has his shooting boots on, we're talking cricket score. Is what I yeah. And that is a real worry, I think. Yeah. I mean, getting, a, getting a point away at Villa is seriously concerning. But that's that's the first game back. I can I can put also with Sheffield United. You could argue um, if a certain system had been working correctly, that would have been free. So that is true. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I battered for most of that game too, though. I mean, they they haven't they haven't out even close to outplayed anyone yet. No, Ollie McBurney. I don't know what's happened. Well, I mean, I don't. I say I don't know what's happened. I I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say with McBurney, he looks dead on his legs because he's literally having to come pretty much into his own half just to try and pick up the ball. That's what I've noticed all three games, even against Villa. You, someone picks it up in midfield, and you're like, "That's not Lundstram. That's not Flack. It's it's bloody McBurney back there, like forty yards from his own goal." I am. I'm just the thing. My worry about Sheffield is I could I can write it off. When it's individual mistakes, you can write it off. You can say a team's going to be fine, a team's going to be okay, because yeah. this won't happen every week. When it's like, so like with Villa, 
Villa are so structurally wrong in terms of how they defend the football. That the their midfield is just out of whack. It's terrible. The way they press is awful. So when they when they lose, I'm like, yeah, I totally get why they've lost. With Sheffield, it was the individual mistakes were what cost them early. But now they're playing a lot of games in a quick short of time. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got the you've got the the lack of rest is going to play havoc with their small squad. And also you've got to take the mental aspect of it that now for the first time this season, Sheffield United are under the cosh. They're playing yeah. badly. It's gonna they're gonna start they might feel like they're in a relegation yeah. sort of mindset. Not that they are gonna get relegated, but in this terms of they could keep losing game after game after game after game. And you have to worry about what that does for them in terms of next season, in terms of resetting that mindset. That's a really good point, because I imagine it won't be a long break between the end of this season and the start of next season. August, isn't it? After so they... that, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's going to be, yeah, if, if they continue like this, it's going to be pretty hard to, to turn that around. Mm. When you consider that the squad that Sheffield have is probably bottom five pretty comfortably. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not like yeah. it's not like they've got individual brilliance in there that no. they can rely on every week. They really can't. Well, you, I sat there. I was sat there watching the Villa game, and I turned to my brother and I said, well, "I said, well, and this is probably true. This is probably true for a lot of the teams Villa are going to play." I said, you, "The one thing you'd say for Villa is they got the best player on the pitch in Grealish." But I was looking at the. I was looking. John McGinn might be better than anyone Sheffield have too. Might be. It's yeah, at least a, really a conversation. At least a conversation. Um. So, worrying times for Sheffield. They're probably sitting there thinking, well, the competition's gone. Let's cancel the season. Points per game. Come on. <laughs> just just a quick side note. As soon as a stray pass goes away in a Chelsea game, I'm I'm there. I'm ready to cancel it and go points per game, mate. Honestly. <laughs> um, just quickly before we go, Dave, I know you wanted to touch on the relegation battle quickly and yeah. how poor everyone seems to be. Yeah, I just sort of dawned I think on pretty much everyone I would imagine that at this point there's four or five poor teams at the bottom and at least two of them are staying up it's just West Ham West Ham Watford Villa Bournemouth none of them look good no I mean Watford's yeah I mean I'm not even considering Norwich I think they're already down to be honest um they're gone. Forget about Norwich it. Norwich is a bit of a shame, though. They actually do try and play football. Um, it's just obviously not come off. They don't have enough quality. West Ham, to be honest, I would love it if they go down. I be would hilarious. love it. They, got this, they took away their club identity to get a, a bigger ground in the hopes of pushing Europe. I actually, on Twitter, I saw something earlier. There's an account called, like, Football Pictures That Proceeds. Unfortunate like, events. Unfortunate events. Yeah. And as West Ham tweeting with the first home game at the Olympic Stadium saying, how good will your European knights look here? Uh, it always cracks <laughs> me up. <laughs> how um, good will championship football look here? <laughs> so, yeah. They've also signed a lot of players that just somehow haven't really come off. Um, and, yeah, just... I can respect the other teams down there, like Bournemouth... As much as I've said stuff about Eddie Howe, they've 
really exceeded expectations for a long, long time. And they mm. played relatively nice football and they have quite exciting players. Watford sort of the same. Um, Villa, you know, they're just horror, really, aren't they? Other than Grealish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Honestly, every, everything is wrong with that Villa team. Like every, I've, I've, I've watched them three times this week. Everything is wrong. That, oh, do you know who is actually a good player? Marvellous Nakamba is actually a good player. And someone's going to buy him and he's probably going to be decent for somewhere else. It's going to be another... Everton game. are going to buy him. Douglas yeah, Louise really reminds me of a dresser, Garner Gay, to be really? honest. I think Nakamba's far closer to Garner Gay than he is. Just because in terms of winning the ball back. But he gets absolutely no support from anyone either yeah. side. No one presses up the pitch and they just sit there and they're not compact in the middle. So everyone just runs through him and the centre-backs aren't covered. It's, it's awful. It's, they are one of the they are one of the worst teams I've seen. It um, would be a real travesty if they stayed up, to be honest. It would It would be, to be honest. Um, Mike, I'm going to ask you a question now. Yeah. Do you think that the bottom of the league is the worst it has been for some years? Um, I th- I think it probably is. Yeah, I, f- I feel like we've had some some decent teams that have gone down before, and the, this year you could pick any of the bottom five. Even Brighton aren't that good, and they're probably clear of it now, six points above the drop. Um, I mean, pick three or five down there: Watford, West Ham, Bournemouth, Villa, Norwich. Who cares? Any of them could go. They're rubbish. Terrible. <laughs> I'd just like to point out here as well. Would you well, like to know how many wins the bottom five have in in their last six games between them? So they've I played would. thirty games. Maybe they've like three four, games between three. Them. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of just... And in that time, they've also only drawn five games, which means they've lost twenty-two of thirty. I'd just like to point oh, sorry, out. Sorry, just get them all out. Let's restructure the leagues. Southampton lost 9-0 this season. Yeah, and, and what a job he has done. Ralph, yeah. surname I can't say. <laughs> well, that could literally be anything, Dave, couldn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, that's true, Well, Yeah, he's done a great job. And they've got a game in hand. Yeah. Um, absolute dross at the bottom of the league, quite frankly. Um, if we could relegate mo- multiple ones. Let's do it. Let's get rid of four of them. Go 18. You, let's... Yeah, Bundesliga let's go, style. Let's go, baby. Let's do Get it. Them all out. Steady. That means we can relegate <laughs> five and promote. Yeah, relegate five. Just relegate all five of them. Relegate all five, and we'll take um, Leeds, West Brom, and next season. Fulham. We'll take Steve Bruce's Newcastle. They've oh, I'm out. not bored anymore. Um, no, we're not, we're not having Fulham go up. No, 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 no. I only want proper clubs in the top. We'll send Brentford up. Well, <laughs> let Brentford yeah, go. Brent, up. We'll take Brentford. Yeah. Only if they get Neil Mopar back, so he can continue to boil Dave's piss. Well, he won't, because he won't be playing us in the Premier League, will he? So it'd be perfect. Yeah, but you'll have to come on here and talk about him every week. We'll have the Mopai moment every week. Yeah, that would be upsetting. <laughs> Mopai of the week. Anyway, thank you for joining us. Um, Dave, if you support any of the bottom five, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm sorry as well. Oh, I was just so sorry if you support you. Arsenal, quite frankly. Um, yeah. um, but Dave, if the people want to follow you, find out more about your takes, where can uh, they do that? Uh, at Dave Harris underscore 44 on Twitter. 
Excellent. And if you want to follow Mike Breslin for more triumphant analysis and superlative journalism <laughs> around such things as wide forwards who are Brazilian, who are now playing as target men in Northern, <laughs> northern clubs like Newcastle United, is John Linton, the new Firmino. He had a slow start. It wasn't this slow, but Mike, where can they follow you for more about that? Uh, yeah, at Mikey Breslin, if you'd like uh, to read a few more of my articles. Yeah. Um, you might have noticed um, that Mike retweeted the um, Joel Linton <laughs> in and around account, and he very, I very nearly changed the password. Um, anyway, you can follow me at Will Hunt Seventeen, but please don't. Please instead follow us at Will at, at Will. <laughs> follow us at In and Around Pod on all the socials: Facebook, Instagram, and the Twitters. Um, if you've got questions like Mr. Yates had on this podcast, you can email us at inandaroundpod at gmail.com. But until next time, stay safe. Try not to watch any Arsenal games. And, um, yeah. I'm sorry, Arsenal fans. <laughs> <laughs>